We're going to begin with a clock today, and we're going to talk about time. In fact, I would ask that we start the clock right now. I'm going to do something that I've not done ever. That's preach in 45 minutes. <laughs> Easy over there. Easy. <laughs> I'm putting myself in a lab today because I hope you'll fill it with me. And the lab is this, that all of us have a job to do one way or the other. Let's start with everyday life. You might be a third grader. You have tests to study for. You have homework assignments. You have things that have to be turned in, don't you? <laughs> I have an 11-year-old. He's in fifth grade. We have a monster social studies project today. And the reason that it's monster today is because it's due tomorrow. <laughs> so not only do we have jobs wherever you are, perhaps you own your business, perhaps you're a manager, perhaps you're an employee, perhaps you're a parent. We all have a job to do, but we have a job to do within a certain amount of time. All of us like to, at the end of any job, I don't care if it's raking the leaves, I don't care if it is doing a project at work or a school project if you're a student, all of us like to, at the end of that project, look back and say, hey, that was pretty good. That went really well. I'm, I, I'm hoping I get an A on that project. I hope that project pleases my boss. I hope that there is something about that project that someone will notice. I cleaned out the garage. I hope someone will say, wow, way to go. There's something deep in us that likes to have that. On the other end, None of us are proud of bad jobs. None of us are proud of half-baked results. Like, ah, that's, I can't wait for the boss to see that. That was really awful. Or I, I, I missed the deadline, and man, I'm four weeks late. I, man, I know the boss is just going to be super happy with that. Everybody has that sense that they don't like that bad day at work. In fact, I brought a little film in for you to see. Here are a few people that are not having such a great day at work. Check it out. Now let's talk spiritually after all that. Spiritually, we're on this earth for a reason. 
I always assume that people that take the time to go to a spiritual community like a church, that you're on a different mindset. You have a different mindset. You're looking at life in a different way. That you understand that it's not all about nine to five. It's not all about raising kids. It's not all about being a good parent. It's not all about you know doing a good job at work. It's not all about owning a house and retiring and whatnot. We understand that that there's a a higher sense, a higher stratosphere, a job to get done here on earth. Jesus felt that way. Jesus said that, that man, I'm here on earth. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus was offered some food. And, and probably by people that were close enough to him, that they noticed that he, he only ate like at 7.30 in the morning. By this time, it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon, or else they wouldn't. I mean, you just read between the lines. It had been a while since he had eaten. And for that reason, he came and said, hey, man, you got, you got to get something to eat. This, otherwise, you're going to wear down. This is the very core of our existence. If you don't eat, you're not going to be, keep, keep going. So they're, they're approaching him like, hey, you just need a break, but you need something essential. And Christ said, no, let me tell you what's essential here. Let me tell you what's at the core. He said, look, thanks for the offer for the food in John 434. But my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I got a job to do, and I must finish. That's the key word. John chapter 5 and verse 36. In the midst of doing that work, Jesus said, For the very work that the Father has given me to finish. He's given me a work to do to finish. And that's, by the way, which I'm doing. Jesus said, don't, don't lose sight that I'm actually doing it right here. Which I'm doing testifies that the Father has sent me. And then at the end of his life in John chapter 17... In John 17, we have the longest recorded prayer of Christ. And he opens up this prayer as any child would, a son to a father. And he says, Dad, I did it. You set me on earth not to do a job, but to finish a job. Not to start a job, but to complete the job. So look what he prays at the very beginning of this prayer in John 17 and verse 4. He says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth. By completing the work that you gave me to do. I have two boys. They're now 11 and 12. I had one that had a birthday this past week. I have an 11 and a 12 year old. When they have done something when I've not been around. Let's say they're cleaning the room. And I've told them, you got to get this room clean by the end of the day. When they have completed it, they cannot wait to show me. There's that urgency. It's like what, even at work, you do something like, hey, boss, here it is. Actually, I got a little bit early, and I did it A+. plus. I went over the top. This is the prayer of a son to a father. This is, the, this is Jesus, the son, saying to his dad, look, dad, I did it. You set, an, you set me on an assignment, and I completed it. And I completed it in the time frame you gave me to complete it in. It wasn't only that he completed the job, but he completed it within a given amount of time. The same thing was true for the Apostle Paul. Watch this. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. One of my, one of my, the strongest verses, I think, that we hear Paul's heart. He says, watch. I consider my life zero. I'm like, wow. Whatever you're going to say next must be important. I consider my life worth nothing to me if this one thing if I might only finish the race, there it is again, and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. And then at the end of his life, 
He's speaking to Paul, he's speaking to Timothy. And the very last thing he wrote in the very last chapter of the book of 2 Timothy, and he says these words because earlier in Acts 4, uh, 20, uh, 24, he said, man, if I can just finish the race, that's why I'm here. I got an assignment. I wanted to finish it. And at the end of his life, he tells Timothy these words, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. In the Old Testament, he knew the Old Testament well, was the last offering to be poured out. It was a picture that Timothy got. We, we might miss that picture, but he's, he's basically saying, it's the last page of my life, Timothy. I've been poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I've kept the faith. I have finished the race. I've done it. I did what God set me out to do. I finished the race. I kept, I kept the faith. So as we look in this collection that we've been on, uh, which is called This to That, from this generation to that generation. If you're coming in for the first time, we've, this is our fourth and final week in this, this little collection. And we've looked at the last words of David, the old man speaking to the young man Solomon, his son. We've tapped into the words of Moses in his last chapter to young Joshua. We've looked as we just have at the, at the uh, last chapter of Paul's life as he poured it in to his young protege, Timothy. And, and each of these guys had the luxury of something that we don't have. They had the luxury of knowing what the end was. See, if we knew exactly what the end was, we would act differently, wouldn't we? And that's going to be the theme of what Solomon is hearing from David. David set his son down and he, and he gave him the luxury that many of us didn't have. My father died unexpectedly in a car accident. I never had this luxury. I never had this sense of dad's last words son I, I know this is the end let me give it to you he he died within an hour and a half of the accident and he was in another state so i didn't have that luxury so i look at this story it means a lot to me i, I wish i'd had that moment i wish i would have had that luxury of of my dad who who poured into me as many dads do but what's what would be the last thing you got to say to me some people have that luxury some don't Solomon had that, and David said these things. Let's review. The first thing he says, be strong, Solomon. Be strong inside and be strong outside. Be strong privately when nobody's watching and be strong publicly. Publicly, you Remember, he said, show yourself a man. Second thing that David said to Solomon, said, look, Solomon, you can obey all the rules. You can be as good as gold. You can check, check, check all the list of all the regulations. You can do all those things. But Solomon, don't lose the romance with God. Don't lose that sense of, oh, the passion coming from a man who was after God's own heart. Coming from a man who wept openly. Coming from a man who danced openly. Coming from a man who wrote psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm. David had the right to say to Solomon, don't lose the romance. It's all over. It's just going to be dry religion if you, don't, if you lose that. Be strong. Don't lose the romance. And then third, David said, look, in every generation, truth will be challenged. Solomon, you hold the truth. You hold the truth. And now we get to the final words of David. And the final words of David are framed by the first thing that he says. When he first sits down with his son, he says these words in Second, First Kings in chapter 2, verse 2. First Kings 2, 2. He says, to his son Solomon I am about to go the way of all the earth 
that statement has such profound meaning. That statement says this, everyone's got a runway and it is measured to the nth degree of how long it will be. You only have a certain amount of time on earth. For some people, it's 87 years old. Some people, it's 93. Some people, it's 11 years old. You never know. We don't know. Most of us won't have the luxury as these three guys had that they, they sense this is the very end. The older a person gets, my mom had her 87th birthday in the last couple of weeks. And the older that she has gotten, there's just this natural gravitation towards heaven. And she has said to me a number of times, if only it were today, I'm ready, I'm ready. She didn't say that when she was 40. She didn't say that when she was 50 or 60, not even so much in her 70s. But in the last four or five years, she's just like, she's urgent to go because she recognizes that she's closer to the end of the runway than she is to the beginning of the runway. And your mindset changes. You see, what Solomon was saying here, at, uh, David was saying to Solomon at the end of his life is this. Listen, time is short. I'm going to use a word that I often sign my emails with. It's two words. It comes from a Roman poet. And the two words are, are on, uh, will be on the screen. The two words, are, they're Latin. Sometimes we say carpe, carpe diem. It's kind of an overused term now. But these two words really change our mindset. And the two words are right there. Tempus fugit. Tempus fugit means time is short or time flies, literally. It came from this Roman poet Virgil. And to these words, he attached this sentence. Concerned that one's limited time is being consumed by something which may have little intrinsic substance or importance at that moment. Now, think for a second. We've got a job to do, like Jesus had, like Paul had. We all have a job to do. But that's coupled but with the fact that we have to finish the job in a certain amount of time. And what David is saying to his son is, don't lose track that you've got a runway that's going to end in a very specific time. Time flies, son. He's an older man who knows that in anybody that's in this, in this room like me that's over 50 was like, wow, man, I'm surprised how time is flying. So throughout the morning, by the way, because I want you to feel this if possible. I'm going to say, what if you only at the beginning of this message had 45 minutes to live? My guess is you, we'd clear the room. There'd be some things you need to take care of. But I'm going to do a time check from now. From, from I got 30 minutes. I've got a job to do this morning to deliver God's word. And I guarantee, I promised you that I'd do it in 45 minutes. A miracle, by the way. <laughs> Someone said, yeah, who's that? Who's that? Yeah, it was you. <laughs> but I've got a job to do, and I want us to fill this together. What if you just had 30 minutes to live? Or what if it was this coming Friday at 5 o'clock? You know, some people, they, you know, they say, oh, last day of the world, and you see it all over the Internet. It's October 15th or you know, October 13th, and we went through that through the whole month of October and the Harbinger and all that. And, and any time that comes up, you know what I think? I, I never think, oh, those guys are out to lunch. I fake my brain in thinking, let's say it was because it changes things. Let's say it was October 13th. And I'm like, okay, I got to do all week long, even this week. 
there, there, I bet you I had 10 tasks that I have a countdown clock on my computer. And I say, man, I got a job. I got to get done because time is short and I don't want to mess around and I want to get the job. So I put myself in these labs to make me work a little bit harder. What David is saying is you've got to make sure you understand your runway is short. You know, Moses wrote one of the Psalms. I don't know if you know that. Some people think David wrote them all, but he wrote Psalm 90. If you look in your Bible, it will say a Psalm of Moses. And in the Psalm of Moses, in the 90th Psalm in verse 12, he said these pretty familiar words, if you know the Bible. He said, teach us to measure our runway. Teach us, God, the absoluteness of life. Teach us to be aware that we're not here forever and we can't take our time. Teach us to number our days right. Why? So we can be smart about it. So that we can gain wisdom about it. Now, see, nothing I've said to, up to this point is probably a surprise. I don't think there's any, anybody in this room like, whoa, I didn't know that. Didn't know I was going to die. I had no idea that I had a certain runway. that would, Everybody knows that. So may I quote from the great C.S. Lewis this morning. And he said this, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. You see, our Christian faith is not always this sense of learning something new all the time. When David sat down with Solomon, I think he capped out this conversation not with something new, but with something that he already knew. I think that he understood, I think Solomon understood that that people die. He had seen it. People die at this age. I'm sure he saw, uh, saw people die. He understood that. It was nothing new. But see, it was David's job to remind him. It was David's job to say, hey, we're going to do a time check. Let's do a time check. Where are we now? We are now 27 minutes. That's all I got left. And so David would say, now, now it's even shorter than when I started this conversation. And for that reason, what we have to do is say, okay, then what is the job that we're supposed to finish Since I've got a given amount of time to do it. May I say respectfully. If we don't ask this question. I'll put it on myself. If I never stop to ask myself the question. Then what is the job? Then I'm a fool. I'm a fool. If your boss says man. I got to get this project done. You got to get you got to get this project done. And then you need to get it done by Friday. And I'm telling you it's big. This is Big, big project. Now, go do the project. Who in the right mind is going to walk out of it and say, okay, i got to get the project done. I don't even know what the project is. I'm afraid to ask the boss. He may think I'm stupid if I say, what was the project? Of course not. You're going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'm down for that. Friday, what time? 4.30. Got it. 4.30 Friday, this project. Tell me, what is the project? Aren't you going to say that? I hope you do. You guys are scaring me. I'm not getting a lot of affirmation here. Like, you're going to get fired by Friday, I'm telling you, if you got a job. We have to then look at what the project is. Now, let me say something to us who are followers of Christ. Sometimes we scare ourselves. It, It scares me sometimes what I see. It scares me that if time is short, which it is, it's an absolute, and we've been given a job to do, which is an absolute, that we don't ask enough then what is the project? What do we need to get done? Because especially living in America, we have this kind of proclivity toward independence. Well, here's what I want to do. I would, don't do that at work. If you didn't learn anything at church today, learn that. If they give you a project, you don't do your project. You do, you do what the boss says on the project, right? In fact, watch this. 
David goes on to say these words, First Chronicle in chapter 28 and verse 9. Now, keeping in mind that all of us are going the way of the earth, that the runway is definite. He says, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him. That's the first thing he says after saying, hey, time is short. Now serve him, which means as you become a servant because a servant does what the master wants, not what he or she wants. If the master says paint the fence, the servant doesn't say, you know what, I don't even like fences. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant a garden. That's not the way servanthood works. So Solomon is saying, you've got to get the job done. You've got to actually get the job finished within a certain amount of time, but it has to be the job that the boss wants. It has to be the job that the master wants. It has to be the job that God the Father wants. That's what Jesus felt. And so when we look at that, the, uh, now let me remind you of the words of Jesus and John 17 again. Jesus said, I've completed the work that you gave me to do. I just didn't go off, you know, on my own independently and did what I wanted to do or I saw this, but that wasn't part of the plan. I did the work that you gave me to do. Back to Acts chapter 20 when Paul says, if I may only finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me to do. He's the one I'm trying to follow. You see, Jesus said, let me combine these things. I'm going to combine the work. I'm going to combine the time restraint. And I'm going to combine the servanthood of it. Watch John chapter 9 verse 4. Jesus says, as long as there's a runway, as long as it is day, he's, he's forming this. In a, in a temporal sense for us, a time sense for us human beings. As long as it's a day, we must do the work of him who sent us. See, we're all sent on a, on a project. We, in a given time, we must do the work that, that he, of him who sent us. Because why? Night is coming and after your last breath, you have no more capacity to work anymore. Jesus is saying... In essence, in Latin, tempest fugit. In Hebrews, he's saying, get off your duff. I don't know. Can you say duff in church? I don't know if that's all right. He's saying, man, there's going to be a time and place where you've got to get it done. And if you don't get it done, ah, you don't have another chance to get it done. There is no more. There's no more exception. So if I might take a very brief stab at what I would say, okay, then what is the job that we're supposed to get done? Now, I think this is universal. This is not unique to our church. Although we have a vision book, you can check out a copy at the, at the info desk, by the way. And we said, let's define some things. Let's just get some of, the, some of the groundwork out of the way right from the beginning. Let's define some things. What? are we doing here? Don't you think that this is a worthy question? That if we're on earth, it's a short amount of time. We've been given a job not to do, but a job to finish. Then we ought to find out what the job is. Here's what, the, here's what we would say. Four things. Not what we would say. We believe the Bible would say. Love God with everything you got. Number two. Love people intentionally. Love people intentionally. Number three, share what you have inside of you with others. Share Christ with the world. Share Christ with the world. 
And four, the one that's often just passed by, the one that is broadened to the point of no definition. Four is make disciples. Now, here's where I'm going to perhaps offend most, but let's do a time check. Even if you're offended, no problem. It's just going to be 20 more minutes. (laughs) 54 (laughs) seconds. I believe and support and partner and fund ministries outside the local church. I do. I believe in them. I think that the, the church cannot do it all. And so I applaud them. I'm behind them. I want you to hear that. I'm going to say it over and over so you don't misconstrue what I'm about to say. I am supportive of of ministries that help the homeless, that help women, that help uh, men, that help help all facets of life. I think they're wonderful. I thank God for them. I truly support them. I attend them. I go to them. But they are no substitution for the plan of God, which is the local church. No, No substitution. Does it mean they should not be in existence? Of course not. Of course not. But when they become a substitution for what's happening in the local church, then something is missing. And I know that's tender for some of you, but I, I gotta, I gotta hold the truth. Just like Solomon did and David, and I gotta hold the truth. Why would I say such a strong statement? I say such a strong statement for two reasons. Every book in the New Testament is dealing with the New Testament church, a local church. It talks about the big universal body of Christ. I get that. But the letter to the Ephesians was a local church, to the Philippians, a local church, to the Corinthians, a local church, to the Colossians, a local church. In other words, there's something that happens that was part of God's plan that he understood that if you rob this of the local church, then we'll just go out and we'll do our own thing and we'll focus on one of those four things, but not all of them. If a local church is rowing correctly in the right direction, we're going to say, man, we've got to teach others how to share Christ. We've got to share Christ together at times, but we've got to share Christ individually. But then we come back and we worship him and we, and we learn together and we have accountability and we make disciples because we can see our disciples in the community where we can bring accountability and where we can speak honestly. And that's the first reason because it's in the Bible. And the second reason because I've been in the ministry for over 30 years. And what I see is for those that kind of substitute their ministry for the local church is that there's always something missing. No different than if you said, you know, I don't think I I need lungs. I'll just take the lungs out. No, you need the lungs. You need the kidney. You need that. So I want to make sure today that when we say, man... Here's the work that we need to do. We need to accomplish the work in a certain amount of time. And those things that God has given to us, love God, love people, share Christ, make disciples within the system, within the planning, within the networking of the local church. I hope that makes sense. And if you have questions about that, then please feel free to say, hey, let's let's talk about what that means. If you don't like it and you want to email me, don't. Hey, we're moving on. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I get all kinds of emails, as you can imagine. Now, there are certain books that look back. They're post-game passages, which I love. You find a lot of those in the book of Hebrews, that they look back on a person's life and they say, now, here's what was happening. I love those verses. There's one in Acts chapter 13 and verse 34. It's truly one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts. And it's looking back, believe it or not, on the life of David. And here's what his, his, the summary of David's life was. Watch this. It's beautiful. Acts chapter 30 
in verse, actually verse 36. Uh, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he got the job done on his runway. That's what he's saying. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. He fell asleep and he was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. Now, earlier in that chapter in 1322 of Acts, we read this post came. God testified concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Why? Because he won't make it up as he goes. He won't do what he wants to do. He won't do a little bit of what I want to do but, and, and, do, uh, and, and not do it. But he's, he's going he's gonna to do, look, everything I want him to do. Wow. What a commentary from God about David. There's a man that not only has the romance, that is a man after my own heart, but he's going to serve me like a servant. And he's not going to do what he wants to do and make it up. What he wants to do and create his own truth, but he's going to do what I want to do. Would to God that that would be what God would say to us at our funeral. The great theologian A.W. Tozer said it this way. If we serve God according to his own will and in doing so serve our generation, so we shall have accomplished all that is possible for any human being. Now, what I've talked about so far is the what. This is the deal. Here's what we've got to do. We've got to do the work of God. We've got a certain time to do it in. But now we ask the question, well, how shall we do it? Now, before that, are, are you interested? How much time we got? Are you feeling it? Let's check. Let's do it. Let's do a little time check. I got 15 minutes. And I'm just on my first point. It's getting a little scary up here for me. Half of you are saying, mm-mm, ain't no way he's going to get done. Uh, ain't no way. When we look at what we're supposed to do, when we're looking at the time frame in which we have to do it, but unfortunately, you don't even know your time frame. You might have four minutes, four days, four weeks, four years, 44 years. You, you don't know, right? When we're looking at the what, but we realize that, wow, man, time is short, then it determines how we shall be, how we'll do it, how we're going to get the job done. Watch, here's what David says. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. He said, now you, my son, Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion, number one, and with a willing mind. In other words, what he's saying is, because time is short, what I want you to do now is, huh, you know how we're going to approach the social studies project today? Huh, we got to get it done. Why? Because tomorrow is Monday. All right. Half of you missed that. Let me, let me, let me go for another one. NFL football. Does it tick anybody off in this room that they, the team plays better on the last two minutes than they did the rest of the game? I mean, come on. Why did you wait then? I mean, they're, they like kick it in, man. I'm like, what happened? They're like, no huddle. They're passing. They're catching, passing, catching, no huddle. They're like, come on, get, get up here. Yeah, and this is what, this is what David is saying, man. Time is short. Tempest fusion. So give it all you got. Wholehearted devotion. Man, go for it. You gotta give it all you got. 
I can't remember. It was just in the last couple of weeks. It was either a Monday night football game or I, I kind of come in and out of sleep when I'm watching. But when I, 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 there was the two-minute mark. Some of you might remember. Some people remembered uh, on the first service. It was the two-minute mark, and they were, you know, they were hustling now. And they were down. By, if they had got a touchdown, this team would have won. They had the ball. And they threw a pass, and the guy thought he caught the pass. And he, w- he ran to the, the touchdown, to the end zone. Sorry, to the end zone. I think it was the Mets. Um, <laughs> just seeing if you're paying attention. Ran to the end zone, and he laid down in the end zone. Meanwhile, the, the clock is ticking. And one of his teammates realized what was going on. He ran down to the end zone. Did anybody see this? This, Yeah, you saw. I can't remember. Did anybody remember the team? Broncos. Thank you. All right. Ran down to the end zone, right? Ran down the end zone and told his teammate, who was taking it easy in the end zone, Tempest Fugit! Time's running out. Get back to the... They lost the game. Lost the game. Give me a time check. How are we doing? 12 minutes. Do you feel it with me? Life needs to feel this way. Like we're in a two-minute drill. I challenge you with something this week. I challenge you. I want you to act like your life is going to end at 5 o'clock on Friday. If you need help with that, I can help you out. I know some people. (laughs) Friday at 5 o'clock, you have the luxury to know that that's your last breath. Are you going to live differently? Are you going to play the game differently? Are you going to love differently? Are you going to make more phone calls? Won't your priorities be a little bit different? But what happens for us is that we just, I'm afraid that we can approach this whole job project that we have from Christ in, in too random of a way. That's why he says, love him with mm, the devotion, the, the full-hearted devotion. But he also says, with a willing mind, use your mind. Choose, select what, how you're going to do and what you're going to do. Some of you are new to 360. I know for those that, that have been here for a while, you might get tired of me saying, but that's why we've worked over 2,000 hours to get a vision plan to say, you want to grow spiritual? Here's some measurables. Here's how you can do that. Here's what we can do. Here's the tools that you can have. We spent five years writing a discipleship track. Why? So that we can get the job done because the time is running out and we all have a, we're serious about with our minds, not just randomly, not saying, you know what? Here's the deal. I, I pray, but I really never write anything down. I never write any of my prayer things down, so I'm not really tracking with it. I'm like, oh, that's right. I should have prayed for Bob. I wasn't thinking about that. I never write it down, so I really haven't used my mind a lot. I, I read the Bible once in a while. I don't have any kind of plan. I've never studied it, actually. And uh, I come when I can. And, you know, that's, that's the thing that scares me. Like, oh, no, no, no. See, that means it's not important to you. One of my favorite pastors in the U.S., his name is Craig Grishel went to a conference, and he was speaking just a a couple months ago. He said these words. You see, how bad you want something determines what you will do in order to get it. You see? Now, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, he got it from Dad. And he said these words. You see, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with everything. Do it like it's a two-minute drill, man. For in the grave where you're going after the runway, there's no working anymore. There's no planning. There's no knowledge. There's no wisdom. It's over. Man, you can feel that he got the baton from his dad. He he understood when he was saying that, man, I, I get that. And so what happens for us is that work 
And this is, I actually pulled it up. It's, it's called Parkinson's Law. We use it a lot in our workplace and in our team. Work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. What that means is if you got four hours to clean the garage, then you probably will take four hours. If you got two hours, you might hustle a little bit. If you got, if you got three and a half hours to cut the grass, you're like, okay, whatever, I'll do it. I'm going to get some lemonade and, I'll, you know, come, come back and forth. But if there's a thunderstorm coming, in 45 minutes, and it normally takes you an hour and 10 to cut the grass, here's what you're going to look like. <laughs> right? Because it's the hustle. That's what, that's what Solomon is saying. Now, we've looked at the what. We know what to do. We know how to do it and how to be. Let me end today by asking probably the most important question. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? I want to do a time check. How are we doing? I'm now at eight minutes. I'm getting a little nervous. There may be some people in this room a little nervous with me, not for this little exercise. But you might be on the second half of your life. You think, ah, oh, man, I, I got to kick it in. And God would say, great, never too late. Kick it. Kick it in, man. Take it from third gear and stick it up in uh, fifth gear. Maybe you're, maybe you're a teenager. It doesn't matter. This whole thing, may, you, you never know. I've had teenagers that have died in, in, in our ministry. You never know, honestly. Do the two-minute drill. But we all ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Because some people enter into the spiritual arena for themselves. I need more peace. I need more inspiration. I need more fuel. I need more of this. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is not for you. It's for him. The motivation is for him. And that is the motivation that God will weigh at the end of time. Watch this. David rounds it out when he says in First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, he says, Okay, you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your fathers. You be a servant. Do what he wants you to do and do it with everything you got. Do it with a two-minute drill, wholehearted devotion, with a willing mind. Why? For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Same words in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes because he will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Not only are we motivated because time is short, but we're motivated because, as my, my boys would say, Dad's coming. Dad's coming home, and he's going to check our project. And what the Bible is saying here is that when our motives are sour, when our motives are self-oriented, when our motives are, are only for our own benefit, what we're told is they won't be worth anything. They'll zero out when we stand before Christ. You see, each of us will stand before Christ. It's not spoken of too much in the church. We'll stand before Christ in what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. The Bema Seat in the Greek, in the Greek games the Bema seat was at the, uh, at the, at the uh, uh, races, when they ran the races. And at the end, when they were like the Olympics, going to give out bronze and silver and gold, they, the judges sat on the Bema seat and they assessed the race. We spent a, a whole collection on this four or five months ago because it's such an unknown. And we'll stand before Christ and he will measure not just what we did, but why we did it. We better do a time check because I know we must be getting close here. We're at 524. 
You see, time is running out and we're going to stand before the beam of seat of Christ. And in that day, our attitude will surface just like a buoy comes up from the water and it will be exposed before Christ in all of his lightness. His light will be shown on that. And what Christ is saying and what David is saying and what Moses would say if he were here right now standing in my spot and Paul would say, for sure, he would say, come on, your runway is too sh- is short and you don't know the end of it. Kick it into fifth gear. Get your mind in another gear. Get your heart in another gear. Be intentional. But be specific about what you do. I'm speaking fast because I've only got 442. Have you noticed? Would to God that they would come underneath us because daddy's coming. And each of us want to say, oh, look, I cleaned my room. I got the social studies project done. By the way, if there's any social studies teacher in this room, I will pay you a hundred dollars and a free lunch at my house this afternoon. Just want to say that. And unfortunately, no one can do it for you. When you stand at the Bema seat of Christ, it will be you and him. It will be you and him. Now listen. When Solomon said his last words to David, here's how I know he loved him. You see, a lot of dads might say this. Hey, man, let me, let me give you a word. Save for retirement. Some dads might say that. Not a bad, not a bad point. Some, I went to a bar mitzvah. I used to teach piano, and one of my piano uh, students was going through bar mitzvah, and, and the father got to stand up and give words of wisdom. And I was waiting because I knew the dad real well. I was, I was waiting. He was a really sharp guy, a little quirky, but really sharp. And uh, he walked up to the podium and, and was kind of silent. He took his time, and, and uh, he, said, he looked right at his son. He said, don't run with scissors. And then he sat down. <laughs> like, Yes, you are quirky, but (laughs) we might give our own sons, our own daughters, earthly advice. But see, David saw that there were only two minutes, 49 seconds left. David understood that and he gave him, are you ready? Here's what you're getting today. Eternal advice. Eternal advice. That this runway is short because eternity is larger than your mind can ever conceive. And when you're standing in eternity, you don't want to look back and think, ah, doggone it. It was half-baked. I only did what I wanted to do. I only did part of the plan. I did the plan I kind of liked the best. I only did what I wanted. You don't want that. On the other hand, you want to be like my boys. I'm telling you, when they've cleaned their room, you know what they start doing? My oldest one, he texted me. Honestly, he texted me. And in my mind, I'm always thinking, hmm, something's up. He's done something really good. Because he texts me, Daddy, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? I'm like, okay, I think it's going to be around 4.30. And, and he says, oh, okay, cool. And then five minutes later, even though it's two hours before 5.30, he goes, when are you coming home? I'm like, I said 5.30. Okay, I got something to show you. I got something to show you. And the excitement builds. You see, Paul is giving us eternal advice. 
as we close here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, his last words to, Saul, to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I got some eternal advice for you. And he's saying, I only got a minute, 16, so let me give it to you. Here it is. He said, Solomon, uh, Timothy, for I am being, already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I finished the work, Timothy. And it feels incredible. Let me tell you why it feels incredible. Because I did it for the boss. I did it all for God. Now watch what happens. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me that day. In other words, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul's like, I'm texting him right now. Daddy, I'm coming home soon. And I can't wait to show you the finished work that I've done. So he says, look, I'm going to get the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but those who sat on the corner of McIntosh and Ashton who couldn't wait to see Daddy because they were about the business of their father as servants of God, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There's a word that David, two words that David said to his son Solomon in four and three and two and one. He said, Tempest Fugit. Let's pray. Father, our time is limited. Maybe we felt it today. Maybe we didn't. It's hard to feel. I certainly felt it because I had a job to get done in 45 minutes. But God, maybe we only have 45 more minutes. We don't know. God, I've seen people die at the age of 100, as many people here. I've seen people die at 90 and 80, and 70, and 60, and 50. I have done funerals, God, as you know, for those who are in their 30s, and those in their 20s, and babies. God, we don't know. But life has a way of ebbing in us, God, the sense that we have more than we think we do. So today, Father, I'm asking you to do what no inspirational speech could. I'm asking you, God, to take your supernatural word and in a supernatural way through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you allow us not only to absorb this truth, but be alarmed by it. I pray, God, for those who are Christ followers, may we act this week like life ends at Friday at 5, how we'd love different, God. How we'd pray different. How we'd be more intentional, more specific. Today I pray also, we pray together as a church for those sitting in this room that even though they know historically that Jesus Christ came to earth and that He died on a cross and according to the scriptures, he was buried for three days and he came back to life, God. They've never reached out on an intimate level and asked Christ to come into their life so that they can begin eternity now. They can begin an eternal journey that all sins are taken care of. They're washed away by the precious blood of Christ. And that they have the hope of eternal security in heaven. 
There are those here today that have not done that, God, and time is short. And if they make the fatal mistake of not choosing Christ, they enter into eternity without Him. Their destination is absolute and horrid. So, Father, for those of us who know salvation, we pray with a fully devoted heart and a willing mind today, God, for those here that need Christ. Time is short. Father, thank you for those who have gone before us, the Davids, the Moseses, the the Pauls, and Jesus, who taught us how to work hard on this earth as servants of the living God, to not start or be about, but to, to finish the work that you've given us to do. And we thank you, God, for reminding us today in the name of Christ. Amen.